You're about to listen to a message from the LifePoint Church, a warm and friendly home for the young at heart. Father, we thank you. We thank you for breath in our nostrils. We thank you for your breath in us. We thank you for your life in us. We thank you for strength in our mortal bodies. We thank you for your wisdom that you fill us with, your inspiration. We thank you for your creative intelligence that we display and deploy in every area of our lives. We thank you, Father, for the things that you are causing to work for our good. We thank you for every burden that has been brought into your presence. We thank you for every burden that has been laid at the foot of the cross. We exchange our burdens for yours, our Father. We exchange our yoke for yours. We thank you because in your presence is joy. In your presence is light. In your presence is life. And you have made a feast for us. We sit at the table this morning and we partake of the feast of fat things that you have prepared. We receive instruction. We receive direction. We receive encouragement. We receive revelation. Thank you because the entrance of your word gives light. We receive understanding. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Go ahead and put those hands together for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. Amen. Okay, so I mentioned earlier that we started a new teaching series called Set Apart, the Practice of Righteousness um, and what it means in the 21st century or in our world today, in our generation. What it means to embrace a lifestyle of righteousness. Um, last week, we spoke about the best detox and the need for us to have a soul cleanse. We recognize the fact that, you know, a lot of people, um, a lot of, <laughs> some of us, a few of us detox and cleanse. Yeah? Apparently, it's not a lot of people that do that. Um, and so we're saying the process for detoxing, uh, where we're very concerned about our colon cleanse and gut cleanse and, you know, tummy blasts and every other types of cleanses that exist. And the green teas, the matcha, and the different things that we consume. Same way we prioritize removing toxins from our bodies is the same way we're supposed to prioritize cleansing our soul. Because um, there are different types of toxic elements that we encounter or engage with on a daily basis. So we address three of these um, types of toxins, or we broadly categorize them into three. One is emotional toxins. These are as a result of wrong mindsets informed by philosophies of men, personal experiences, our seen nature, you know. So it's usually reflected as things like pride, arrogance, you know, excessive anger, irate behavior, jealousy, and, and we agreed that we need to be healed from the inside out because some of these things, um, yes, our sin nature shaped us that way and Tolu explained to us what sin means, you know, using that analogy in a very relatable manner um, helped us understand how we came by the sin nature because that was not God's original intent, okay? Uh, we also spoke about cultural toxins, and these are predominantly negative effects of culture. 
um, and environment, so things like social media, um, you know, some of us belong to certain WhatsApp groups that we should really exit from if we're serious about detoxing our soul and renewing our minds. Um, relationships, certain types of relationships, toxic relationships, and then even our media consumption habits. And then the third type was the behavioral toxins, and it's from the effect of our choices and actions. So indulgence, examples include indulgence in porn, um, illicit sex, drugs, addiction, gambling, smoking, uh, loud, and different types of things that we smoke. So these things obviously introduce toxins into our lives. And I'm sure somebody's seated here and is like, show me in the scripture where we're not supposed to smoke loud. Show me where I'm not supposed to take weed. You know, show me where I'm not supposed to consume alcohol and things like that. And you have a very, that's a very valid point or question raised because it's not in there. But I can show you scriptures that speak to a higher type and a higher level of living where these things, um, aside from the fact that medically it's been proven that in long-term use destroys your vital organs. Um, also spiritually, there is a way these things prevent you from coming up higher. So you might be saved, but you still indulge in some of these. You have sat on the fence of, well, it's not in the Bible. I want to see it where it's written, what Bible chapter, what Bible verse, what Bible book. Uh, and because of that, you have sat there. I'm going to talk about someone very quickly today. Today, um, it's been tagged, I want what I want. Today's topic is I want what I want. You know, they say, we say in our generation, the heart wants what the heart wants. Someone should remind how they say that. The heart wants what the heart wants, right? So, which sort of suggests, well, I can go for anything that it is that I, you know, I want it, I should have it. But we're speaking, uh, just continuing. I did mention last week that it was a two-part teaching. So, first is the cleanse uh, or the purge which we did in the evening, uh, the exchange service in the evening. Today, last week we spoke about the what and the why. Why do we need to uh, detox? Why do we need to remove these toxic elements that are preventing us, you know, from living a full and wholesome life? Um, primarily because these things, um, God does not approve of them, essentially. His word is very clear and his word is truth. Uh, he has a position on it. If you're going to come to me, you cannot embrace a lifestyle of sin. Uh, but we are, in our generation, we're very, you know, open to, you know, we want to do everything. You know, God, I want to engage with you. Um, you know, I really love you, Lord. You see, but this aspect of my life, uh, can we just, like, not touch it for now? So we give God, we, we come to God, we give him rules. We give him instructions. Um, for some of us, God is our spiritual ATM. We come to him when we want him to solve a problem for us, when we want to dispense blessings. You know, God, so this business deal, I need you to breathe on it. I need you to make it work. You know, to God, I'm going out today. You need to assign Angel Michael, Angel Gabriel, and which other angels do we know their names? Any of Zuriel? Who, you, you, Uriel, sorry. Sorry, my daughter's name is Zuriel. Uriel, uh -huh, we'll just assign them, just assign them to guide me on my journey today. You know, I'm going to Ibadan. The roads are not very great and things like that. So we have turned God to a very, our relationship with him is very transactional. 
But I know that the beginning of this year, a number of us have proposed to just walk with God deeper. For us to be able to do that effectively, we need to understand his nature. What pleases him? What gets God excited? What makes him happy? And I also need to point out here, just in case someone is thinking about only Jesus is perfect. It's, it's like it, it's a very high standard where we're trying to set. The first thing is your righteousness is not of your works or your efforts. We established that at the first um, Sunday. Uh, that's the, sorry, the last Sunday in February when we started this teaching series. Your righteousness is not of your efforts. So it's not what you walk out. It is a gift. Scripture records that with the gifted garments of salvation, we have been clothed with robes of righteousness. So it is first a gift. With that understanding, we know that there are requirements to be able to continue this practice, this lifestyle that pleases God because God is holy. Yes, he is merciful. Yes, he is loving. Yes, he wants to relate with us. He wants to, he wants to come down to our level, but he's also holy. So how do we balance this? How do I come up higher? How do I please him? How do I live this life that he has called me to? So today we're going to be talking about the how. An unsaved person is unable to practice righteousness because of his sin nature. And we see that clearly exemplified in Romans 7 from verses 18 to 25, the New Living Translation. Paul would say, and I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. And I'm sharing the scripture because a lot of us can relate with it. Oh boy, this was one of my favorite scriptures. In fact, it was like I had freedom when I got saved and I saw this thing. I'm like, oh, Paul, a whole you. You have this struggle too? It's like the day that I don't, and let's think about it, the day that I want to fast or the day that, I mean, when I first got saved, the day that I decide that ah, I'm not doing this thing, I had this habit or this, you know, this vice, it's like all the earth, all the factors, everything starts to militate against that one thing that I decide I don't want to do. And I'll use a, a simple example like fasting. The day you want to fast is the day your friend will call you up and say they want to take you out for lunch. Is it <laughs> 12 o'clock? Exactly. Is the day all the different types of meals you start craving them from Chinese to different things. You will start desiring you, ice cream, the things that you naturally don't even like because you have decided that today, God, is me and you. Everything starts to come at you. And for some of us, it's in the different areas that we have proposed. So we start, and it feels like we fail. We, we start this journey of righteous living. Maybe somebody who, you know, you said, okay, I'm not going to sleep with anyone. And then the day you decide, no, it's then your ex that has been gone forever wants to come back and starts to call you up and starts to try to arrange a meeting. Do you want to come and sleep over? Just when you have decided that, no, not me, not anymore, Everything's maybe the one that you even liked the most that broke your heart comes and starts to apologize and it's different things for different people. So Paul is saying here, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. It is sin. 
Again, because our sin nature, when we, and, and it's part of what we're going to be talking about, how do we deal with our sin nature? How do we put, scripture speaks about putting your body under, keeping, your, in fact, it's not even put, the word it uses there is keep. You keep your body under. When you put your body under, it can resurrect. But when you keep it, it's a perpetual keeping. It is what we do every day. You keep keeping it under. You know, there's also another scripture that speaks that, you know, there's, there's certain types of lifestyle and behavior. The, the, the nature of the flesh, you know, causes war in your members, in your body. It's as though you are conflicted. You want to please God. You want to honor him. But these things, keep these cravings, these urges, this lifestyle that you're trying to leave behind keeps pulling at you. It says, I have discovered this principle of life. That's verse 22. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God, verse 25. Can we read that together? Is it up on screen? No. Okay, let's read it together. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. But thank God. Because the answer we need to this lies in Jesus. It lies in the redemptive power of Jesus. It lies in an active and a vibrant relationship with the Holy Spirit. So let's move on from there. For a believer, and I've spoken about, you know, the person who is not saved. The person who still um, is, is mired in sin. But for a believer, for the person who is saved, a believer has the capacity to decide who or what to yield to. And we see this in Romans 8 to New Living Translation. It says, and because you belong to him, him here being God, the power of his life-given spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The power of God's life-given spirit has set you free from the law of sin and death. Just in case that's the translation you, you memorized. It's the same thing. The power of his life-giving spirit has set you free, has delivered you completely. So it is important that we as believers need to function from a place of that victory that we have received. Some of us cower and subject ourselves to the guilt and the condemnation and the shame that a lifestyle of sin brings. We've read Paul here speaking about, look, there are times that I'm conflicted and it's I love the word. I love, I love the scriptures. Because in it, we have examples. We have models. We see people, human beings like you and I, who had issues that they were dealing with. And we see how God will still use them. We see how God will be very deliberate about transforming them. Think about Jesus and his disciples. He didn't go for perfect people, you know, right? All of the guys that walked with Jesus or walked with him. They were imperfect people. The guys that Jesus would show up at their houses to eat, because aside from the 12, there were others too. These guys were not perfect people, but he took them where they are and discipled them. That's why they became disciples. 
He put them into work. So for someone who's still feeling like I need to be perfect before I can serve God, I need to be perfect before God can speak to me, before God can use me, that wasn't the model Jesus deployed. And so there's hope for you and I. So examples of other people who, you know, have this, had this I want what I want mentality in Scripture, and Scripture is replete with a lot of them. Is it Amnon who desired his sister so badly that he had to rape her? Is it Samson? You know, and, and I'm going to dwell a bit on Samson. Is it, is it uh, Esau who just thought, if I don't eat this yam pottage, how did I know it was yam? This pottage, <laughs> I will not be all right. And, you know, despised something that was of utmost significance, his birthright. And we are very quick to judge Esau. But that's kind of like you and I sometimes. Because life would always present us with choices. Life would always present us. For every time we make a decision to go left, there was an alternative to that decision. But we made a choice. And so when we make these choices, we need to also recognize that there are consequences for, you know, these choices. We are free to choose, but there are consequences. You and I are free to make a decision, always. But we should understand that there are consequences to these decisions that are made. So we see an Esau who would take his birthright. And that birthright, is, is, it's important in the, in, in that, as at that time. Same even for us. The birthright represents, you know, something important to you. It represents something of uh, significant magnitude. How many times do we make decisions to trade what is of importance to God over and above our own lustful desires? So we're always conflicted when it comes to decision-making. We even see a David, too, who at the time he was supposed to go to war, decided he wants to sit down and be doing what I don't understand till eventually got himself in trouble. But Samson here, let me zone in a bit on Samson. And I want us to read Judges chapter 13, verse 12. We're all familiar with the story of Samson, I presume. But if not, you can study it in Genesis, sorry, Judges 13 to 16. We'll see his story there. God needed a man that was going to deliver the children of Israel from the hand of their enemies. And so God decided that this family, this couple who have been seeking a child, I'm going to bless them with one. And the son that I'm going to give them, here is what he's going to do. In recent times, I, you know, I heard Pastor Godman speak about the boundary of grace, and it kind of blew my mind because I'd not processed that Judges 13, 12. I'd not processed that scripture that way. It says, so Manoah asked him, this was after the angel had come to visit his wife and had given instructions and had said to them, I will give you a son, but you cannot drink wine, you cannot eat anything that is made of wine, and you cannot eat anything unclean, you know, because this guy is a Nazarite, consecrated to God, essentially. But the husband would ask a very important question of the angel. He says, when your words are fulfilled... What is to be the rule that governs this boy's life and work? Remember 
the position I said some of us have assumed as to, well, these things are not in the Bible, so since it's not there, it's okay for me to indulge. This father would ask this question because I recognize that this child, he's not ordinary. This baby, this prophecy is not an ordinary one. So what is going to govern his, his life? What will be the rule around his life? What will be the boundaries of grace where he, will be, he would function? And it's such an important question because every time I, since that day I heard, you know, this scripture read in that light, I have been meditating on it and just asking God over my kids, myself. I mean, not because we've not been, you know, praying along these lines initially, but there are things that you cannot do. There are things that are permissible to others, but for you, they are not expedient. They are unnecessary, whether they are written here or not. It does mean that you and I cannot live our lives carelessly. It means that an understanding of God's, when God looks at, looks at us, what he sees of us, where he's taking us to, we cannot live unguardedly. And we see how Samson's life will pan out because of unguarded living. Yes, God used some of his mistakes and misbehavior to prove himself and to deal with his enemies. But the question is, is that the only way God could have functioned? Did Samson have to live carelessly for God to show up? Think about it. Do you and I have to constantly and perpetually be, you know, yo-yoing in cycles of, God, forgive me, I will not do it again, and then we do it, and then we're back again. God, forgive me, I will not do it again, and then we do it, and we're back again. God, forgive me, I will not do it again. And then it's just this repeated cycle of repentance and failure and repentance and failure and repentance and failure. So, every decision or action that you make will either bring you closer to or farther from God. For the person who has decided that this year, I am emerging in my sonship. I am emerging in my intimacy with God. Because I know that that is the foundation for which every other thing will emerge. That it's not about the money. It's not about you know, the fame. It's not about the, the, the affluence. It's not even about marriage. It's not about children. It is that I desire that this year will set the tangent and mark, you know, it's a foundational year for the rest of my years, that I am building afresh, that I am building and I am building with God. If we have decided to emerge in that manner, then we cannot live unguardedly. We should also be asking, what is the rule that governs my life and my work? That is a question that someone needs to ask. And we will find these rules in the scripture and through some of the things that we've been talking about this month. So, seven practical steps to overcoming bad habits. I know seven sounds like a lot, but just follow me. In fact, just so that we will remember it, I tried to put an acronym to it. I was not very successful. But what I came up with is Haga. Haga. Yes. <laughs> it is H double A double G A H. I worked it out and ensured we got something that we can pronounce. Haga. Can we say it together? Mm -hmm. 
So when you think about Haga, Ha, yes. When you think about Haga, you remember that these are practical steps that you can take to deal with whatever bad habits, whatever vices that you're, you're currently, that is contending with you, contending for your, your joy and your righteous living. Okay? Now, just speaking about acronyms, I remember, let me just share this story very quickly. I remember several years ago, I ran a WhatsApp Bible study group for a couple of my teenagers that I used to teach then, females. And I remember one of them came to spend the day with me. I think she had just come back uh, from school. And so she was at mine. And it was time for Bible. She was there till it was time for Bible study. And so I got on my phone, on my device, and I started to type. Then somebody put up something that was supposed to be funny and everybody was laughing, and then I just put LOL. And she looked at me, because she was right there. She's on the group. She was also chatting. She looked at me. She's like, no. I'm like, what happened? What's going on? You just put a law, and you did not even laugh. You didn't even smile. I'm like, well, but I had it. So she's like, that. no. You, you said you laughed out loud. You did not. And I was confused. I was like, well... In my heart, I guess I was laughing at what it was. She's like, no, you're not supposed to use... Anyway, she went on and on about it. And in fact, that was the first time, and I'll, I'll confess, that's the first time I heard the letters L-O-L used as a word. Law. You lulled. And I'm like, How, why? That just sounds really wrong. But hey, it's what it is apparently in our world. So you will not catch me use it. Amen. But it's okay, you can use it if you've been using it. Acronyms and I, we don't have a very... Anyway, let me just focus. So, HAGA, practical tips or steps to overcoming bad habits. Matthew 5, 29 to 30 says, So, if your eye, the NLT translation, if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gorge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. I remember reading this scripture in Sunday school and just feeling like, that's wrong. That is so wrong, you know. Of course, before it was then explained to me that it doesn't necessarily mean cut off, you know, like amputate your hand or pluck out your eye. What Jesus is saying here is, look, you're going to have to be drastic in some of the measures that you take to protect your heart, to ensure that this is your walk of righteousness with God. If God is really all you say he is to you, you're going to have to be very drastic about the kind of measures that you put in place. So in this season, we trust God that there will be some cutting off and there will be some gorging out. Amen? Yes. So the first one, letter H, is honesty honesty. You need to be brutally honest with yourself. In fact, in, in addiction, um, psychologists will tell you the first thing that needs to be present is awareness. If you are not aware and you have not accepted that you have a problem, then there's no, there's no solution yet, no solution in sight. You need to be aware and then you need to accept that this thing is a challenge. So you and I need to be brutally honest with ourselves. What am I dealing with? 
what is this vice? What is this thing? And I know we're very quick to think about, when we talk about addictions, we're very quick to think about um, sexual immorality. But there are so many things we're addicted to in our generation. Even things like social media. Social media, pornography, masturbation, and any variant of sexual immorality, loss. We're addicted to different things, gambling, Betting, some people, the, the amount of investments made. I don't even know that investment is the right word, but the amount of, you know, if you, if you take what you have invested in gambling, Babai Jebu and all the very fancy ones that exist now, if you take it and you put it either to buy land in Moe or to, you know, get, do a, get a, 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 a professional development, you know, a diploma or something, add value to yourself, You'll be a better person. But in, this, in the name of, I need to blow, I need to make it, I need to have more money, greed has pushed us into different forms of gambling. There's so many things. And somebody is here and feeling like, well, this is not me, actually. I'll share an example. There was a time in my life that I had to be brutally honest with me. Now, my husband is brutally honest, but... You know, there's a way someone can tell you something, and you're like, mm, yeah, whatever. I just told myself, Sola, if you continue this way, eh, you will not amount to much. Very early on, you will not amount to much. Some of us is excessive sleep. You can sleep for the world. And you're wondering, but how is this a bad thing? And you know the annoying thing, well, not annoying, but the thing that we used to do ourselves is that we have excuses. It is never about us. It's either everybody else. You know, we always find who to pack the blame on. The time I used to have issues with sleep, because I can do long hours. Sometimes I can work three days, no sleep. I'm just on coffee. I'm just, when I want to sleep, I'll sleep. And my husband can't understand, because I, 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 my head hits the pillow and I sleep like a baby. God has blessed me with sleep. If I'm not sleeping in a phase or a season in my life, it means that I, there's a problem. There's something that I need to pay attention to spiritually. But I sleep and I sleep well. In fact, sleep is how I solve. I don't use medication usually. Hardly do I. If I have a headache, I know a good night's sleep, I'll be all right. So, but when you now carry that sleep and make it your altar and your tabernacle, and you decide you want to sleep for the world... <laughs> You wake up, you continue to sleep. You wake up, you continue to sleep. When we go on vacation, it's like, auntie, what's going on here? But I'm like, the number of hours, if you calculate it, you have slept your destiny away. So it might not be any of the bigger beset, uh, issues or the besetting sins, but it is things that God is calling your attention to. See, I need you to pay attention to this. For some of us, it is work. We have very poor work ethics. We are workaholics. Your life revolves around your work. God, even the Holy Spirit cannot speak to you even about that work. Because you are the alpha and the omega, the beginning, the end, and everything in between on that job. And you believe that it is by your effort that you have gotten there. And you feel the need to continue to push and to push and to push. You work late nights. Family members are not seeing you. No, no valuable relationship. Your friends can't. No thing. Because your life is centered, and we can make excuses for it. Do you know how long it took me to get this job? 
do you know that my company depends on me? Ah, I learned a hard lesson when I was pregnant, my first child. And I felt, you know, six months, I was rolling like every other person, showing up early, closing very late and all. Oh, the day the pretend labor hit me in the office, started in the office, that same moment, I was humbled, I was on my knees. They had to rush me to the hospital. Your work cannot be your savior. So I trust that as we are going through this, the Holy Spirit is highlighting the one that affects you. From the issues of sin, outright sin, to the bad habits, to the poor behavior, because we are emerging in every area of our lives. And God needs for us to be better. Even God instituted rest. Some of us, we have signed a covenant with the devil that we will never rest. So he doesn't need to do much to create work for us. We create work. We don't know how to rest. It is a problem. Even God rested. So who are you? Why are you not resting? And it's in the, even fear. Fear is another thing. Fear is another thing. We think fear is, you know, we say fear is the opposite of faith. You know, fear is not the emotion. It is not the feeling that, oh, um, you know, that feeling of anxiety that you have, maybe before a, a presentation or a performance and you're afraid, am I going to, mm -mm. Fear is a spiritual experience. The way faith is a spiritual experience is the way fear is also a spiritual experience. So some of us, we say, let's embrace our fears. I heard Pastor Debo almost today at the Lekki Church say that this morning. He says, in, it's in, in 365 places in the scripture, in the Bible, where God will say, fear not. So when God says, fear not, and you and I say, no, let's embrace the fear. That's counter scripture. But I'm sure when we say, let's embrace the fear, we're talking about the feeling of fear. But recognizing that fear is a spirit, is, you know, is a spiritual experience, is very important. So, Jesus commands us to call out the good eye and the stronger hand that is getting us into trouble. Part of what we need to do this week, in fact, before you leave today, as the Holy Spirit is bringing, this one is you. This particular issue is you. Identify it. Be brutally honest with yourself so that you can ask God for help on how to fix it. The second thing is amputation. That's the second letter. Remember, it's haga, amputation. So there's honesty, and then there's amputation. And it says, amputate and disconnect from channels and tools that empower you to compromise. Please, can we put up the next slide? Because it has a couple things on it. Next slide. Yeah. The people that you need to block, begin to block them. Thank you very much for that response. The people that you need to block, block them in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm. Bring out your phone and start blocking. The people you need to unfollow before they lead you down the path of... Uh, unfollow them. See, the, the things you need to delete on your phones, on your laptops, get start deleting. Otherwise, you're not serious yet with this walk of righteousness. You're not, I mean, and again, I, I don't want to come across as judging or anything. So we are not serious with this practice of righteousness. We need to disconnect. We need to be offline. There are certain things we need to unsubscribe from, certain things we need to uninstall. And I know this sounds like, oh, it's all just social media and the web world. Absolutely not. It's not just that. There are certain friends you need to have conversations with. 
we cannot be friends. And I know it's not, I, I mean, okay, I was going to say it's not our nature, but yeah, we cancel people a lot. And while it is that we believe that this whole cancel culture, we don't really encourage it because we're all supposed to be all, all grace and all truth. We're supposed to love people like Jesus does. But there are some people that you have loved and they are leading you to hell. There are some relationships you have right now that you know doesn't glorify God. And you have gotten into that relationship with the assumption or the mindset that I will change him. I will change her. But be brutally honest with yourself. Who is being changed? Ask yourself this question. Do not be unequally yoked. Who is being changed? Who is being transformed? What have you begun to embrace that you know isn't who you are? What have you become more accepting of that isn't who you are? Those are the conversations we need to have with ourselves. Proverbs 22.3 says, the amplified version, a prudent and far-sighted person sees the evil of sin and hides himself from it. But the naive continue on and are punished by suffering the consequences of sin. Prudent and far-sighted, naive. Who are you? The prudent sees far. The prudent recognizes that my life isn't ordinary, that there is more to me than all that I can see right now. As such, I need to position appropriately because I have been located, you know, when I got redeemed, God put me in a particular place where Jesus is my elder brother, where I am his son. So if there are vices that are trying to relocate me and reposition me to where I'm coming from, it's kind of like a pig, you know, after having played in the mud, or a dog, let's even use a dog, a dog would vomit, and then you're coming back to that. Think about it. Think about it. So, we are to strike at the root of unholy disposition, as well as to cut off occasions that stimulate them. Amputation can be painful in the short term, but it is worth it in the long run. So, if you break up for the person that needs to break up, you will hurt. Your heart will be heavy. But I promise you, it's just for a short period. You'll be all right. Have you seen anybody that died of a heartbreak? Well, maybe they are in this world because people are dying of different things. But it is not the normal human disposition to die because somebody broke your heart. I know a few people have, but that's not normal. There are deeper issues. Issues of insecurity and, uh, you know, low self-esteem. And that's why they feel like they cannot do with that. But you and I have survived Tons of heartbreaks. <laughs> Somebody's at breakfast as well. Practice substitution. Be intentional about the practical actions that you need to take to replace the dislodged habits. It's kind of like the scripture where Jesus would say, you know, you clean out a room, a, 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 a room, a life that is possessed. And the person is delivered. And then the room is sparkling, free of any encumbrance. And then the spirit sees that it's an unoccupied room and goes and brings seven more. They come in their numbers. So if you're going to dislodge a certain habit, what are you replacing it with? If you are dislodging a certain lifestyle, what are you replacing it with? At the exchange in this evening, we will talk in a whole lot more detail practically on some of these things. I remember somebody asked a question um, last Sunday's exchange around 
look, the kind of work that I do, um, he's a visual, like a post-production um, editor. So he creates movies. He's a filmmaker, essentially, creates movies and stuff. And it's like, the kind of content that I have to create, because for you to be competitive in this business, in this, in this world, you must produce certain types of movies. You must you know, be involved in certain types of, of, of uh, filmmaking activities. And you have to watch and rewatch and rewatch to be able to cut and play scenes. And, and you know, we all just sighed. Hmm, this is deep. Because where do you want to start to answer this person from? How do you want to begin to help this person to say, first of all, the, the answer that comes to mind is, ah, you need to resign. You need to leave that job. You have to protect your heart. And, and I know it's the, it's the thing. And I sat down that day and I was like, God, this is, this is real. Because this is, this is this are a lot of people's reality. They're in jobs. They're, they, 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 they are skilled. But they're deploying their skills in certain areas where it is commercially viable, you know, it is, the remuneration is great. Everybody cannot produce Christian movie now. Because we're saying, oh, and you know, I try not to be religious in my thinking. Because the next thing we should be saying is, you know, we don't have skilled hands in, in, in Christendom that can produce Christian movies. That, you know, and, and we, we position that way. But I'm like, this, I don't know that this helps this person. You and God will have to come to that place of understanding that, yes, God, I'm leaving this. But to be able to make such a decision, you have to be in him. Otherwise, you would always be looking over the fence at what you are missing. You would always feel like, I'm missing out on a lot. Ah, God, and I left that thing for you. But see, this Christian movie that we are doing, nobody has recognized me in it. Nobody knows me. They are not even paying me money. It's an honorarium they are giving. Thank you for coming. Thank you, you know, and so many things. So, we've spoken about, what's the first one? Honesty. What's the second one? Amputation. The third, accountability. So important. Accountability. You have to shame the shame. That's how you are accountable. Call it out. Call it for what it is. See, sin thrives in secrecy. Sin thrives in secrecy. And the reason why I have come to understand, because I also had, a, I mean, an experience at some point in time in my life, if you heard my God experience, where I couldn't talk to anybody because I felt I would be judged, I would be condemned. I would say, ah, auntie, you have been born again for a while. You should know better. Sin thrives in secrecy, but you have to shame that shame. You have to assert your victory over it. I say, See, I'm, not, I'm not going to let you keep me bound. No longer will I continue to allow you to keep me bound. I will open my mouth and I will speak to someone who can help me. I will speak to someone. I will share this thing with someone who can help me. I will speak to someone who can pray with me. I will speak to somebody that I can be accountable to. And we have our counseling team here at LifePoint who are on the ready, on standby, ready to pray with you, ready to journey with you. And we also even encourage professional help. We are not a church that will tell you, you know, counseling or professional therapy isn't for Christians. Absolutely not. Where you need to get professional help, we encourage it. But we recognize the power of the Holy Spirit to break addictions, to break chains. And so we will do it all together. So shame the shame. Be vulnerable to the right people about your struggle. You are not your weakness. 
And somebody needs to say that to themselves. I am not my weakness. I am not my challenge. I am separate from it. Right now, it might look like it's controlling me, but it has no hold over me anymore because I am set free. He that the son of man has set free. He's free indeed. And you need to begin to walk in the reality of that freedom. So, the, fifth, the fourth thing is guard rails. Guard rails. Guard your heart. How many of you know how guard rails function? We use them to deter and to keep off limits. You need to mount guard rails over your heart. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. Hide God's word in your heart. That's how we do it. Your word have I hid in my heart that I will not sin against you. If David will say that and still sin the sin that he sinned, how much more you and I that don't even know what the word of God says? Hide his word in your heart. So important. Be extremely vigilant about what you allow into your heart through your eye gates, your ear gates, and your mouth gates. There are certain things we need to keep off limits. You cannot continue to watch this, that series. I spoke about Netflix. I don't want to go into Netflix again this Sunday. But you can't continue to watch these things. And you say, oh, I'm not watching porn again. But there are some porn-like things that you are watching that keep setting you back. You need to mount guard over your heart. When I was speaking about excuses earlier, how that we blame every other person, we blame the government, we blame our parents, we blame our friends, we blame our place of work, we blame every other person, but we don't blame ourselves. We don't take responsibility over our lives when we don't mount guardrails. We say it's our experience that has cost us. Yes, I, I, I was raised on porn. Um, and I don't, I, I don't belittle the effects of these things on the lives of people. But the truth is, if that was how you were, you were a victim at some point. But you need to start to position differently. You cannot keep making that as your excuse. It was because my father left when I was a certain age. I did not have a father figure. Is why I've turned out like this. I didn't, you know, this person left, this person broke my heart. That's the reason why I'm this way. And we blame our anger and, and uh, you know, decisions to, to, to deal with the opposite gender because of the negative experiences that we've had. Mount guardrails over your heart. Protect your heart. Very important. Number five. So can we run through the first four? What's the first one? Honesty. Second. Amputation. Third. Accountability. Fourth. Guardrails. Number five. God consciousness. You see where the guy comes in? It sounds very cheesy, but it's all right. God consciousness. Be conscious of God's presence at all times. So important. Regular fasting. And just in case someone's like, how is this whole God consciousness? They're carrying his presence. What does that even mean? What are the things that enable you access God? That enable you, you know, commune with him? It's time spent in prayer. Time spent in the study of his word. And then putting or keeping your body under through practices like fasting. As a church, we fast every Wednesdays. You might be here and you've never joined us in fasting. We fast on Wednesdays. We put up prayer points. Or, you know, we make calls for prayer requests sometimes. But when is that day that you dedicate to say, Lord, I'm, I'm denying. And, and we fast from food. People fast from different things. 
I know married couples who fast from sex when they, you know, when they want to commune with God. They, there's an agreement between them that we're not doing it this for this number of days. Both agree to it. But there are different things that you fast from. Social media. But you see that food part is important. Because you see, it is closely tied to our ability to be able to dis discipline ourselves. Some of us live very undisciplined lives. And we, again, we have reasons, a ton of reasons why this is so. But fasting, praying, the study of the world. Focus on walking in the spirit and not on the scene. That is an approach, a mistake some of us make. We are very focused on the scene. I want to stop masturbating. And it is that that we continue to push. And we forget the solution. It is not by putting the sin in front of you. Recall what happened to Jacob and the, the sheep. When he was going to grow in his... When he was going to... I don't want to use the word scam, but when he was going to do... I mean, he did something with Laban. Yeah? He simply put before them. He put before the goats, the speckled and the spotted goats, because he wanted them to replicate. So he put in front of them an image that he wanted them to continually behold. What are you beholding? And that's a question you and I need to ask ourselves. Are we beholding the sin? Are we beholding the fact that we are sinners? Are we beholding the guilt, the shame, and the condemnation? Or we are beholding the finished work of Jesus on the cross? Are we beholding the scriptures that speak to the fact that I am not my weakness? I am not my sin. Are we focused on walking in the spirit and not after the dictates of the flesh? Leveraging the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit is also equally important. Now, number six, audit. Audit. Consistently audit your relationships. Who are the people influencing you virtually and physically? New relationships herald new seasons, new possibilities, new graces and new threats. So be discerning of all the relationships in your life and the people that you allow to influence you. Some of us, if we are brutally honest with ourselves, our current life has been patterned after somebody that we had either consciously or unconsciously modeled. Some in a good way. We've picked up good habits. Some in a bad way. We've become, you know, we've embraced certain vices, either through friends, through mentors, through influencers. We speak a certain way. We even start to, some of us dress a certain way. So, be discerning of the relationships in your life. Who are you allowing and giving permission to make decisions in your life? Because when you embrace their pattern of thinking, when you embrace their mindset, you have given them permission to control your life. So I pray and I hope that we would allow the Holy Spirit to influence us because he's the greatest influencer. And that he would open our eyes and point us to the people here on earth that we can see and behold and see that this practice of righteousness is working for them. It is working in their life. They are producing results. The last one is help. It is important that we help others grow. I spoke about Jesus and his disciples. He didn't wait for them to be perfect. He didn't wait for them to be fully reformed and refined before he deployed them into work. They learned on the job. So who are you helping to grow? You are dealing with a particular type of vice and you know you have friends. Whether it's that you're a spendthrift and that just came to mind now for someone. 
You have friends who are spendthrifts. Be the one to call yourselves together. Find somebody that can counsel you guys. Who are you helping to grow? To come out of this habit, to come out of this vice. So we're going to pray. As we just bring everything, you know, to a close in the next two to three minutes. It is time to amputate. What besetting sins or bad habits must not follow you out of this service? Someone needs to make a note. You need to make up your mind to shame the shame and to find healing. And you need to also decide to seek appropriate counsel. So, the psalmist was saying in Psalm 51, verse 10, David actually created me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Renew a right spirit within me. Would you just pray this morning and ask God, Father, create in me a clean heart. And I'm hoping that nobody here is feeling self-righteous. That you're doing a check and you're saying, Holy Spirit, are there besetting sins? Are there vices? Are there things that I need to drop? Are there things that are affecting my walk with you? Are there things, you know, whether it's anger, whether it's, you know, just being hot-tempered. Are there things that I need to drop that is limiting me and affecting my capacity to emerge fully? in my relationship with you and in every area of, of my life. Some people have, you know, prevented their, their destiny helpers from actually helping them. Why? Because they have spoken wrongly. Sutra says, a soft answer turns away wrath. Oh, they serve you at level one. You serve will serve them at level two. They give it to you. You serve will give it to them back fully. If that is you, do you want to pray this morning and say, God, help me. I present this besetting sin. I present this bad habit. I prevent, present this negative behavior to you. Help me, God, and deliver me. Deliver me. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Renew the right priorities within me. The right desires. For someone here, it is the right appetite. My appetite has been flawed for so many years. I have desired and chased after and lusted after the wrong things. I only know one way, but I am asking today, Father, help me to begin to desire your way. Help me to begin to lust, uh, sorry, to desire your way and, and to forsake the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. To forsake arrogance and, and jealousy and, and the little things, the little foxes that spoil the vine. Help me today, oh God. Help me, O oh God. Help me, O oh God. Second Corinthians 4 to the Amplified Classics version says, We have renounced disgraceful ways, secret thoughts, feelings, desires, and underhandedness, the methods and acts that men hide through shame. We refuse to deal craftily, to practice trickery and cunning, or to adulterate or handle dishonestly the word of God. But we state the truth openly, clearly, and candidly. Would you go ahead and make that declaration? Today I renounce disgraceful ways. Today I renounce secret thoughts. Today I renounce secret feelings and desires. Today I renounce underhanded measures. In the name of Jesus, today I renounce everything that does not give you glory. Everything that separates me from you. Everything that continually puts me in that cycle, that pattern where I keep coming back. I fall and I stand and I fall and I stand. I'm saying today, Lord, I am coming out of them. I am emerging in the name of Jesus. I renounce the methods and arts that men hide through shame. I renounce every besetting sin. Lord, I renounce. So you need to begin to declare those things that you are renouncing today. For someone, you need to say, I'm renouncing gambling, God. It is not taking me anywhere. The prudent and the far-sighted see ahead. 
they see ahead, they see what it is that God is saying. They see what it is that God is, is instructing and desiring. Would you go ahead and make that declaration today in the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you. We give you praise. Thank you for deliverance. Thank you for losing the bands of foolishness and of wickedness. Thank you, Father, for setting us free. Thank you, Father, for your mercy that prevails over judgment. I pray for that person who's dealing with the consequences of sin right now. I ask, Lord, that you would have mercy. Let your mercy prevail over their lives, over their situation. In the name of Jesus, I ask, oh God, that you would help us come up higher. That as we renounce these negative habits, as we renounce these vices, you will strengthen us. You will strengthen us to walk with you. You will strengthen our resolve. I pray for the grace to be disciplined for someone in the name of Jesus. I pray for, for the grace for us to number our days and apply hearts of wisdom. Fill us with your wisdom. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see areas where we need to course correct this week. In the name of Jesus, I pray for grace for someone who needs to break free out of a relationship that is currently, you know, leading them astray. We receive grace for you in the name of Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, for everyone who is coming out and calling out the sin for what it is and stepping away from darkness, stepping away from secrecy, that as they reach out to receive help, I pray for them the right support system in the name of Jesus, that, Lord, angels will minister grace to them, minister help to them, in the name of Jesus, that their eyes will make contact with the right books, the right resources that would help them on their journey of recovery. In the name of Jesus, we thank you, our Father, and we give you praise. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen and amen. Praise God. Thank you for listening to a message from the LifePoint Church. To download more free messages, please visit www.soundcloud.com forward slash LifePointNG.